I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball. All right, it's a great day for a ball game, and uh, I'm pretty excited today. We actually have a uh, another guest in the healthcare industry. She's an accomplished physician, born and raised in a large Cleveland family, one of seven children. That is a household right there. There's a lot of activity. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. She left Ohio to attend uh, Wellesley College in Massachusetts and returned to Ohio to attend medical school at Case Western University. She's a board-certified musculoskeletal radiologist. Our doctor uh, guest has over 32 years of experience. What, were you started when you were 10? Yeah. I, I, I would, really? She's practiced in academia, private practices. She spent 10 years at the Cleveland Clinic as the director of musculoskeletal ultrasound. And for the past two years, uh, she's been an entrepreneur and small business owner operating her own private practice in Northeast Ohio, specializing in the integrative treatment of chronic musculoskeletal pain. You've got a lot of big words, uh, I suppose, as a doctor. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Patricia Delzell, president of the Advanced Musculoskeletal Medicine Consultants, Inc. Welcome, Dr. Thank Elsa. you for having me, Randy. <laughs> that was quite a uh, you did introduction. did a great job wow. with that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks to the team for pulling that one together. All right. So, and as we were saying earlier, I can call you Trisha, right? Yep. So we can dispense with the formalities and you can call me whatever you like to call me. It's good. <laughs> all right. Super excited to have you on the show, right? Thank you're, you. You're excited. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> a little nervous, but little nervous. I'm okay. Yes. Uh, all right. And also, I want to roll out here at your practice, Advanced uh, Musculoskeletal Medicine Consultants or Advanced MMC. Dr. Delzell actually has uh, very graciously is providing a complimentary call, a limited consult uh, for folks listening to the show that can call in and uh, all of the information will be in the show notes. And so you can grab uh, the phone number or her website and schedule an appointment there. Before we get too deep, I want to stay on that. So we were just talking right before we started recording about remote consults and or treatments. So prior or during the pandemic, you were doing remote work treatment? Well, yeah. I mean, I've always had patients come from all over the country to see me. Right. Um, when I was at the Cleveland clinic, obviously it was a different venue, but, right. um, when the pandemic hit, all of our licenses kind of became global licenses so that people didn't have to fly in to see me. They could see me remotely uh, over telehealth. And then if we were going to proceed, then they could come in for a limited visit. But since the pandemic has kind of cooled down, they're re-looking at all those uh, allowances and kind of putting the restrictions back in. So we're in the process of looking to see 
who can we see remotely and who needs to still just mm. fly in and see me in the office. Okay. So kind of a case by case basis, but people can, if they're in different States can call at least and have a conversation and then right. you can mm-hmm. yep. determine on that. So, okay. So that's great. So folks be sure to go down grab the information, uh, give Dr. Delzell a call. And I, during the show, I can call you Trisha, which mm-hmm. is great. All right. So before we get going, I want to learn about a, advanced MMC. I also want to touch on something here. Evidently, you've got a bit of an adventurous spirit about you, right? I want to talk about that. Evidently, my research team found out that when you were 20, just the other day, Mm, uh, you free climbed the head wall of Mount Washington in New Hampshire, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of my friends and I, one day, they were like, hey, let's go camping in New Hampshire. And then we're just going to climb this mountain. And I was like, cool. So you were still probably in college. I was in college, then, yeah. In of course, so college. It was a quick so we just trip. like, you know, drove up to New Hampshire, mm-hmm. stayed in this little pump, pup tent, yeah. you know, with our legs hanging out uh-huh. kind of thing. Got up the next morning, drove to the base of Mount Washington. And they're like, we're just going to climb right up the front. And I was like, okay. Which is weird for me because I have a ter- the, the interesting part about this is that I have a terrible fear of heights. Oh. Like, Terrible fear of heights, right. but I'm going straight up. So it yeah. was okay until I got to the very top. And then I was about 10 feet from the top and there was this ledge that I got stuck on uh-huh. and for some reason turned my back. So I was pinned against the ledge and the ledge was so small that my feet, which are size five and a half, didn't even fit on the ledge. Oh so my, my toes yeah. are kind of off the edge. Uh-huh. And the two people I were, was with, they were got to the top and then they laid on their stomach with their cameras and took pictures <laughs> of the head wall with my feet off the ledge. I'm just stuck there, right? Freaking out completely. Uh, but they got me up there and then but, it was fine. But you, you made it. Yeah. yeah. So free climbing. Is, yeah, it's just you know, ridiculous. We that, didn't even have ropes, nothing. Yeah. We're just a so stupid that's not, teenagers. That, that's we had not, the right shoes, you know. I've uh, been well, in the, so the lived in the mountains shoes, yeah. my whole life because we had a family house in Vermont. And I'm horseback rider, like kind of trailblazer. So woodsy person. Adventurous side. You're like, yeah, Yeah, bareback, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So good for you. And then I was in college, of course. So So you you just do some dumb things then. Yeah. I I wasn't sure if that was like, uh, you know, really some of your background that you really got into mountain climbing and we're doing some of that. Mm -hmm. I've have some of that in my background. But I got stuck on Mount Rainier a few times, got mm. frostbite all over my face. And yeah, I was really like, wow, really? Free climb. Did you ever see that movie? Um, I think it's called Solo or Free Solo, but about Alex uh, uh, Hanold, who no, I heard about that. Yeah. El Capitan in Yosemite. Yeah. It took him only a little less than four hours to climb El Capitan. Free free climb, no ropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did it take you to do Mount I have Washington? no idea. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> it was just it was like one of those, just like. It was, uh, I think I forgot everything once I got stuck against yeah. the wall. Uh, so. That's a good time. All right. <laughs> Mount Washington, too. I mean, that is like the yeah. home of the world's worst weather. Yeah, but it was it was like late spring or early summer. Maybe it was the middle of summer. Yeah. So it was the weather was fine. I remember the weather, the weather being fine. fine. All right, yeah. good. All right. So uh, let's talk about you as doctor. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Yep. I remember at age four wanting to be a neurosurgeon. I always wanted to be a neurosurgeon my whole entire life. I went right 
through college to medical school thinking I was going to be a neurosurgeon. And then I spent one day in the operating room doing a neurosurgical case. And I was like, no, not for me. So I think everybody in their life goes through a phase where they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Right. And that was mine. So then I was this like, all, but you were already I was already in medical, in medical school. school, but there's like a million different things you can do in medical school. But then right. I was like, now what am I going to do? So I kind of tried out all different specialties, yeah. changed my schedule around. I was like lost, kind of not knowing what I was going to be when I grew up. And um, I was a physical chemistry major. In college, and I had done some research at MIT yeah. in um, MRI. And so I did have a little bit of radiology knowledge and background. And when I did my first rotation in it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Okay. So then, then I knew again. Then you landed. All right. <laughs> I knew again what That's I wanted to be That's amazing that you were, like, really, from that young of an yeah, age, you're like, I'm, I'm in, neuro, I'm neurosurgeon. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I don't even yeah. know why. I don't even think I knew a neurosurgeon. Wow. That's my father funny. was a cardiologist. Okay. So I was... He used to take me to the hospital every Saturday morning to do rounds. So I was in the hospital all the time. It was a comfortable place for me. But I'm not really sure why neurosurgery was in my head for so long, but it was. Okay. Any of your other siblings in the medical field? Yep. I have two siblings that are um, doctors. One is a cardiologist and one is an internist. Okay. That's incredible. Well, your parents, I'm sure, are very proud. That's Mm -hmm. terrific. So... How long does it take to become a radiologist? So what, what's the process, I guess? What's the path of that? So four years of college and then four years of medical school. Now they have a combined program where you can do six years and get your medical degree at that point. But I did the traditional. And then after that, you do some kind of residency. So in radiology now, you do a year of internship, which is kind of general learning of how medicine works. And then you do dedicated four years of radiology. And then you can do a fellowship after that, which is what I did. And that's it. Wow. Then you just how, go. how long is that? Well, yeah. I was trying to calculate. So after years college, so four, eight, four, and then nine. Whoa. So it was probably about eight years after college when I was then, you become an MD okay. as soon as you so graduate so from medical like 12, school, 12 years, eight, in nine years. Be, yeah. Okay. So nine years after college, I was then what we call an attending, which means okay. that you're not in training anymore. Right. My yeah. Italian hands, I, I keep getting say, things. Uh, yeah. you know, I've had somebody else in the studio do the same thing. They're like, oh, it's me, the Italian. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Shaking stuff around. All right. Wow, well, that's a great pass. So now you are Dr. Delzell. You've, I mean, you really have done some incredible things. And I want to talk a little bit more about why. But I do want to f- learn more about your current private practice, the Advanced Musculoskeletal Medicine Consultants. You opened this um, about the end of 2019? Yep, November of 2019. Okay. So tell us about your practice, I guess, in a a nutshell. What what is that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And if they know what a radiologist is, then they're still very confused. Because what I do is a little beyond... Um, radiology. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very, very subspecialized. So what I do is combine traditional medicine and complementary medicine to treat patients with chronic musculoskeletal pain, which is pain in joints, muscles, nerves, tendons, anywhere in the body. And 
you know, my superpower, I guess, is the musculoskeletal ultrasound. So it's a very specialized way of using ultrasound. And the way that we use ultrasound is not only looking at the area of pain and whether that structure is intact or not, but how it's functioning with respect to the things that are around it. So if it's a muscle, is it contracting correctly? Because we can do movement or dynamic images with that. Are we looking at maybe that muscle is just strained because the other muscles that are in the group that it works together with to do a certain movement is not working correctly. So we not only look at the area of pain, but any um, surrounding area that could be affecting that one structure. The ultrasound also is really very specific for looking at scar tissue in the soft tissues. So we can see the fascia very clearly, even normal fascia is very thin, but we can see it very clearly on ultrasound. So if it becomes scarred or it's sticking to things around it, like a muscle or a nerve, we can see that very nicely on ultrasound, which is unique because it can't be seen on other, other imaging modalities like CT and MRI. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the, you know, so that's the first thing that we do when someone comes in with pain You know, after I've already taken the history and everything, we look on the ultrasound to make sure, is everything intact, how things are moving, so that we can develop some kind of treatment plan that's just based on the biomechanics or the anatomy. Mm -hmm. If everything's intact, but we just have some scar sticking, then that's when the complementary medicine comes in, because there's kind of a whole other entity, the chronic pain entity, which is its own own disease process, really. And I like to describe it as a pain. Pain is like a pain sensation. It's not really the physiologic process that's happening in your body. Um, So people can have a normal pain sensation, meaning like if you put your hand on the stove and it's hot, your body will tell you to pull it back. So your physiologic process is working correctly. If your physiologic process is not working correctly, it can be either or. You can put your hand on a hot stove and not move your hand because the pain sensations aren't working, you know, that physiologic process isn't working to give you the correct, you know, signals to do what you need to, to protect your body. If your sensations are the opposite, you could put your hand on a cold stove and feel heat and pain. And, you know, especially if you've had that trauma before, it's kind of a little PTSD ish, um, but you can still have that reaction even if the stove is cold. So your physiologic process is working in the opposite way. It's not giving you the right signals. It's giving you too many signals, and it's not serving you as far as helping you to get better. So sometimes what we find with chronic pain in the musculoskeletal system is people hurt when they move or if anyone touches them, and those are the exact things that sometimes will make them better. So the pain sensation that they're getting is a faulty signal that is creating a situation that is preventing them from healing. That's incredible. <laughs> it really is. So I, yeah. I want to touch on one. You, you um, threw out the term complementary therapies or complementary medicines. Is that the same as an integrative medicine? Is that Are those terms the same? So there's a lot of complementary therapies such as massage therapy, light therapy, energy therapy, just a whole slew of things. And in integrative medicine, what integrative medicine means is that you're integrating complementary and traditional medicine. So integrative medicine is just taking Taking the complementary. So instead of just using the tools that you learned in one area, 
you're taking tools that's complementing mm-hmm. what you already do. And it really expands the ability to help people heal because there's so many reasons why people have perpetual pain. Um, if you don't touch on those other areas and you don't delve into those other areas, um, they're not going to get better. That is fascinating. I want to touch on uh, that a little bit deeper as well. But I have a question. I, do people ever just think like, what do you do? Are you just a pain doctor? Because I think, I mean, there is like this kind of category, pain doctor. Would you call yourself a pain doctor? So I still struggle with that since I've only been doing it for a couple of years. I don't do, I don't prescribe oral medications Mm. except for some supplements. I don't prescribe narcotics. I don't have like the IV therapies. Um, I do do injections. So that's part of my traditional medicine stuff that I do. But there's a lot of stuff that other pain medicine doctors do that I don't. And I don't do anything within the spinal cord or spinal column itself. So I don't do like epidural injections or facet injections. I do treat the muscles around the spine from the neck down to the sacrum, but not anything that's actually in in the canal. Okay. And I want to say one more thing. Because there's, you know, when you're a radiologist, this is why I got into what I got into. As a radiologist, we see a lot of diagnostic studies. So MRIs, CTs, ultrasounds, we, we interpret them. We discuss with the referring doctors, like, what it means, what we can do to help, potentially. Um, a lot of times the referring doctors are just sending, us for inje- sending patients to us for injections, and then we don't ever see them again. We don't really care for the patients as much. Um, And what I found doing that is that I was doing injections over and over on people. Like they were just coming back and they weren't getting better. It was frustrating for me because, you know, I was raised in a household of primary care physicians who care for their patients and want them to get better. So that my mentality is that's where I sit to begin with. And so the first thing I started doing was working with just the other caregivers around me, like the referring doctors more closely, the physical therapists more closely, like, so I'm going to do this injection. Can, is there something that we can do afterwards that's going to make the pain go away for longer? You know, so we would, we developed kind of a treatment protocol that was limited just based on biomechanics and, and anatomy. And we did get some results with that, but then there was this whole other aspect, this whole chronic pain aspect. And we could do everything right, and then their muscles are working great, but they still had this pain that, you know, we didn't have any anatomic explanation for. And I thought there's got to be something more that we're not doing that can get them to the next level. And that's when I decided to do the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, which gave me these other tools to add to what I was already doing. And that's how my practice morphed into what it is. So the other tools, meaning like the complementary medicines that you mentioned, so like yoga or massage or... But then the bigger part of it is lifestyle medicine. So discussing with the patient, you know, what are you eating? How are you sleeping? What's your stress management like? What's your support systems like? What supplements are you taking? What medications are you taking? All of these things have an interplay Mm. and they all work together for good and for bad. Right. And so I try to kind of get a big picture of them 
And that's how I develop my treatment plans. They're all very individualized. I can have like six people come in with a hamstring problem and their treatment plans are completely different because it just depends on what their Their environment is. It's very specific to their lives. Biomechanic, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you do, and and thank you for explaining it because it's, it's actually becoming even more clear to me, is that, you know, you really have opened up, I'll say, kind of the, the door to traditional medicine. I mean, you've expanded it greatly because you utilize all of these other complementary medicines and as well, you're looking at all of the, what I would say, kind of the environmental inputs as well um, that is... Um, has some kind of an uh, of an impact on an individual's health and uh, and how they're responding to treatments and all of that. Yeah, so it becomes this much bigger kind of palette, so to speak, of right. how you can treat somebody. Yeah, uh, it really it really becomes kind of this open. I mean, it's very unusual for me to give up on somebody. It's oftentimes, people get frustrated and give up on themselves before I do, um, because there's just so many different things that we can delve into. And I, the other thing, I try to do baby steps. I, I'm not that person that you're going to come to and I'm going to give you, these are all the things we're going to do like right now. We're not going to, you know, we're going to change your entire diet and you have to like clean out your refrigerator and go right. buy a new food. Like I don't do that kind of okay. stuff. We make little changes and so that they're sustained. Also, one of the other things that I've noticed a lot with chronic patients, chronic pain patients is that the vitamins and minerals that they have in their bodies are either not abundant enough or they're not being they're not being made appropriately in their bodies they have some kind of process that's halted or cuz they don't have the right supplements and again having said that i'm not that person that gives you 32 supplements to take i feel like if you have too many exercises to do too many different foods to change too many medications to take that that adds to the anxiety and the pain actually it, it becomes overwhelming and then it just adds to the problem instead of the other way around so I really try to look at everybody's lives and, and I try to simplify it more than you know make it more complicated because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. tends to make people worse I think mm-hmm. but there are lots of lots of avenues to look at and you know I try the least invasive and the easiest things first because if they work, then you're good. And then as time goes on, if that's not working, we just delve deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until we can get, get to some, you know, healing process, which is really based on, for me, what the patient's goals are and also what they deem as improved quality of life. That's where my end goal always is. It's not like they have high blood pressure and if they don't take their medicine, they're going to have a stroke and die. You know, this is something that they've been living with for a really, really long time. And my goal is just to make their life better Mm. for them, whatever that means for them. So that's kind of how I direct my care. I'm really fascinated by this. I have a family member who uh, has been dealing with chronic pain for years and years. As a matter of fact, I just talked with him yesterday and I'm like, can I make an appointment for you with, <laughs> with, with Dr. Delzell? Cause I think it, it might be interesting. And so from a personal experience there, I'm kind of thinking about this in that he is seeing a, uh, what I'll say a pain doctor. And I want to draw a distinction here in that 
you have stated already, like, well, I don't prescribe pain medication or opioids or whatever it is that may deem the treatment. Do you do that not because you can't, but because it, I would say kind of goes against what you believe from a practice standpoint on how you want to approach the problem? Right. From a practice standpoint, I, I don't begrudge people needing pain medication by any stretch. Right. Um, it's just not something that I manage in my practice. And there are times when you need pain medicine to get you over whatever the acute pain issues are. In chronic pain, I'm not so sure that it's the best thing. And, you know, with uh, the opioid crisis in our country, integrative physicians in general are trying to try these other things to get people off of those mm. those pain medicines. Um, people that come to you that are on, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. those medications. Yes. And then you, I work you with su- their, you're successful to like yeah. gradually get mm-hmm. them out of there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I work closely with their physicians to do that. I, I don't take people's patients from them. Mm-hmm. I am very collaborative in my approach with either their referring doctors or with them or whoever it is that's seeing them because really the best way to get to a healing phase is to really have everybody working together for, your, for the patient's benefit. Similarly, I have patients who have chronic pain who have high blood pressure or have anxiety, and as their pain gets under control, they need less of their medication. So you have to work really closely with their, with their cardiologists also because mm. if their high blood pressure starts right, dropping, right. then they take their blood pressure medicine, then they go the yeah. opposite, opposite way because their pain is what was you know, kind of perpetuating their high blood pressure. Also, the same, same thing that way. Yeah. Like helps people to not need as much medicine in that respect also. (laughs) That was me dropping my pen. I'm like, well, I'm rubbing off on you. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is all fascinating. Of course, I'm always fascinated by medicine as a whole anyway, but um, I love this. And I think only, you know, probably as I've gotten more seasoned in my life experience, do you like that? Instead of saying that I've gotten older, Mm -hmm. that I think that I have become more open to a lot more Beyond traditional medicines, I guess. I always like, hey, I've got a headache. I'm going to take, you know, some aspirin or something. And um, and now, you know, I've been experimenting with meditation. I've been doing more of that um, mm-hmm. in the last, I don't know, six months, eight months. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, and really have noticed in my own life some of these kinds of things. And really, because of that, I think it's kind of opened me up to a lot more beyond what I would typically like. I, I think yoga absolutely has got a place as a runner. I used to run a lot and I did yoga for uh, helping for stretching. Mm-hmm. It's actually, you know, it's interesting. Some of these quote unquote complementary medicines have, yeah. have kind of worked their way into tr- traditional medicine as, as a first line treatment. For instance, for chronic low back pain, yoga is one of the treatments of right. choice and right. acupuncture is also. So it's interesting. And now acupuncture in some cases is being covered by insurance. So these quote unquote complementary medicine uh, modalities or treatment plans have now worked their way into traditional medicine because they work right? and because they're helpful. And there's a lot more that can be done in that world, but you know. Yeah. So you throw out the terms uh, acute pain, chronic pain, acute pain, meaning like right now, yeah, I touched the stove. It's hot. I'm in pain right Right. now. 
chronic pain, meaning that's just ongoing, yeah. long, it doesn't go away after a week or a few days. It's uh, yeah. Chronic. Usually, it's yeah. it's defined as three months or beyond. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what kind of pain? So you talked maybe about somebody like a hamstring injury that could be from sports related or something, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I told my wife I was having you on today and she's like, well, talk talk to her about this is what I have. So there you go. So my wife has scoliosis. All right. And so... I'm saying this because she's given permission. And she, as she says, as my body ages, mm-hmm. she can, it continues to change. And so she has various pains in her back and neck. Would you describe that as being chronic? And mm-hmm. is that something that you'd be like, Hey, I could yep. definitely could help you with some of those things. Correct. Yeah. So, um, I'll have to give her your when I, well. <laughs> I mean, you think about acute pain is, you know, from an acute injury or some kind of trauma or you tweaked yourself doing whatever. And that normal healing process go, you go through the normal healing process and somewhere between six to 12 weeks, it should all go away. And because your body will heal yourself up. That's the way it should go. Mm. Then when it doesn't and you start you, and it could be from a lot of different reasons. It could be, I call some people they're, um, they're, imbalanced, they're imbalanced, but compensated, which means that they have their biomechanics are off, but they're balanced. So they don't get pain from it until one thing happens Mm. and then they spiral. Mm. So they're like, I never had pain before. And then, you know, I pulled my hamstring on the left side. Now my right shoulder hurts and my right ankle and my, my right lower back and my left knee because they probably had some imbalance in their biomechanics and didn't give them, they didn't have enough reserve so that when one thing goes wrong, everything, that whole, that whole cascade just goes. Mm-hmm. And then they get into the chronic pain because they, they don't have the tools to realign themselves. Right. That's interesting when you kind of talk about that because then it, all of a sudden it flashed to, I remember seeing on your website when I was looking at some information and I think it was either in a presentation or a video that you talked about this kinetic chain. Is yep. that, am I using the right <clears throat> phrase? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a kinetic chain is just a chain of muscles that work in a certain way to achieve a position or motion. So just to stand up, you have a group of muscles that crisscross across your body and open down uh, in your body that help you to stand. So if one of those muscles starts to not work right for whatever reason, um, it can affect the other muscles, it can strain them, and then it can affect your posture, which then affects different joints and it mm-hmm. just... Kind of a domino effect right. on, on the whole thing. So. I, I could talk about this stuff all day long, actually. I think the Me more too. I get into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could. Um, how about, you mentioned as well about environment. So I will, I'll have to share. So just in the last, I don't know, uh, two months maybe, I think I've had this thing. So I have this wearable. They're not a sponsor of the show, so I'm not going to name them. But it's mm-hmm. a wearable, um, and it monitors all different kinds of fun stuff. But it's uh, heart rate variability, measures my sleep when I'm sleeping, my activity. It measures my body temperature, my heart rate, resting heart rate when I'm sleeping. And so it's giving me all of this feedback, mm-hmm. on on especially around sleep. And then it 
can do some other things during the course of the day as well. Like when I do a meditation, I'm like, I go on the app and say, Hey, I'm going to meditate. And that begins to monitor very specifically that activity and what I'm doing there and my heart rate, what's going on there. And so, and I know you've have some material on your site and talking about sleep, uh, as very important. And so for me, I've always struggled with sleep. Um, it seems like I, I can fall asleep very quickly, but then I was always waking up and down, up and down, um, uh, uh, throughout the course of the night. And, uh, I started kind of experimenting with diet. I started removing sugars and carbs from my diet, not caffeine. <laughs> I still you know, <laughs> like, Hey, maybe you might drop that. Yeah. Um, but I have found, you know, like with this wearable and giving me that feedback, you know, that I'm able to make some in adjustments as I can see the input, um, you know, that I'm getting. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about, I guess, maybe environment and as you approach it with chronic pain. So again, I start with a very kind of basic, I just get an overview of what people eat, drink every day, just about their sleep habits their stress management, their physical activity, um, all of those things interplay with each other. And again, I'm not in the in the um, judgmental role. Like I, I don't judge anybody. I mean, pe- people have all sorts of things that they like and they don't like. And I, in as far as diet goes, I will. I actually don't like the word diet. I just use the word nutrition in my practice. So I look at what they. One of the things I have them fill out when I actually have an. I do an in-depth nutritional assessment mm. that can be a completely separate thing. And one of the things I have them fill out is here's this whole list of the the anti-inflammatory diet, which is you know the ideal things that that will help your body to work optimally. Just I just have them just cross off the things you hate and start the things you love. And that's where we start. Let's let's eat the stuff that we love. I mean, if you get to a point where you're eating and you're not happy in what you're eating, it's never going to work, so it's okay right? If you're going to be miserable. I'm a big ice cream it's gonna fan. Be so like, like, you're yeah. going to be miserable yeah. if you're not okay. eating things that you like, right? right. And, it's, and it's about, I do a lot of education about what different types of nutrients are good for you and what level just to get people thinking. And a lot of the time people make their own modifications based on that. I have a whole sleep hygiene sheet that I give people who are having trouble with sleep, sleep, sleep hygiene. hygiene. So there's that optimal. Is a term. I, I, yeah. I don't so know that I've ever... I'm not a sleep doctor. There's like an okay. entire, right. yeah. there's an entire field of medicine that is sleep. But there are basic things that you can set yourself up for success um, for sleep. That's the first step that we that we do. Just, you know, your environment in your bedroom, right. how you live your life during the day so that at night you can go into a sleep state. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. for sleep right. prior to. Everything. The, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, having said that, I will say that I am partial to tr- traditional Chinese medicine, which is the yin and the yang of life. So it's like balancing everything. Right. People who become too obsessed with any one process can then make it worse for themselves. So there's, there's a balance in everything, in eating, in sleeping, in physical activity, in rest. You know, it's very important to kind of find that balance mm-hmm. where you're kind of in your perfect right. state of energy is, you know, what we're, what we're going for with yeah. traditional Chinese medicine in particular. So 
I know we got to get moving on, but I did, I find this, do you work with patients long-term? Because it would seem like Mm -hmm. for you as a doctor, and I think you maybe alluded to this even a little bit earlier, but it would seem like your ultimate goal is to reduce and remove that chronic pain from the life of your patient, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a problem. Yeah. It's a problem because it's a problem because actually somewhere around 80% of my patients at around six months, they get better enough that they don't need me. And so it's a problem from a business standpoint because I constantly, I was (laughs) was like, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by making people better, but no, it's, um, I always say to the patients, like, you know, my goal is to see you in the grocery store, not in my office. You know, like, that's what I'm going for. And so, yeah, I mean, I do find that it's about 80% of patients that about six months down the road, they're they're good. They're managing, either they're managing well or they have all the tools they need to keep going in the right direction. Sometimes if they have, we call it a flare of chronic pain, they'll come back in and see me just because they want to make sure that they didn't hurt themselves or whatever. But then I do have patients that it takes a lot longer. I mean, I have patients that I've been seeing for a few years and it just depends on them as individuals. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be their support for however long they need me so that we continue to move in the right direction to help them to get better. Yeah. Yeah. But the ultimate goal is reduce and remove the pain. Correct. Yeah. The other thing that I work on a lot with patients is the roller coaster of pain. Like it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, right. and then it gets better. And then this up and down kind of stuff. Right. It's it's almost like an emotional roller coaster right. too. And if you can kind of keep everything down to a low hum, it makes it a lot more easy to deal with also on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely so there's a lot of different yeah. angles that I'm working yeah. on with them. So sometimes it does take a while. Some people take to that. Some people don't. And the other thing that you should know is that I don't force anything on anybody. Like right. if people are not into meditation, then we just don't do it until they're ready or until they need it. They, they come to it on their own. Like I just meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Some people are very heavy on the traditional medicine side of things. And that's what we, I talk to them about the other things, but you know, we work within whatever is their comfort zone. Fascinating. I said so many things and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I should ask her about this because I think this is interesting. All right. So I, but we're going to move on. I am going to just again, remind people, look for the information in the show notes. Dr. Dalzell is giving a complimentary call, limited consultation, um, give her a call, get some information and then uh, schedule something I think would be great. All right. So let's move on. We're gonna, you know what time it is now. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. Okay, seventh inning stretch. Now, I do know you like baseball. I do like baseball, but I <laughs> love but baseball. I love baseball. <laughs> That's what you told me. I about. do love baseball, but you know, a lot of baseball fans know a lot of statistics and things, and I just love the idea of baseball and being at baseball and you just listening love, to baseball. Yeah. I might not know any of your answers, but. but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I love baseball and I love going to a game. I love listening to it and watching it as well. But I love going to games, I, the whole environment, everything about it. I just mm-hmm. think it's like, oh, it's so fun. And Definitely I could go, my happy place. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, like my happy place. Yeah, like if yeah. I'm not having a good day, I'm like, is yeah. there a baseball game in town yeah, exactly. that I can go yeah, exactly. to? It just changes me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I know you're a big Indians fan, so this is good. So I had the research team. They <laughs> oh, pulled no. together. Usually. 
usually we kind of hit up a question with our guests that's kind of relative to their niche, you know, to their specialty. And I said, well, listen, I know Dr. Delzal. She loves baseball, loves the Indians. So hit her up with anything, right? God. (laughs) So I was throwing up. Okay, I'm not going to know the answer. Go ahead. (laughs) So they gave me three questions. And one, I'm like, oh, actually both of these, right, are kind of like, oh, is it true or false? Uh, Uh Do the Indians hold the American League record for consecutive winning games? Yes. Yes. I was at that game. Game 22. Yes, it's 22. 22. I have a a pennant on my wall. Yeah. My niece gave it to me for Christmas that year. I have the. It was the most amazing game. Yeah, it was great. I have a very funny story that he I'm so after, excited. I, I knew the answer game. to that question. Yes. Don't See? ask me anymore. There you go. Well, that, that, <laughs> no, I'm that just was, kidding. The, that was the lob, right? That was like, oh. hey, we're, we're like we're at batting practice. So oh, here's gosh. the other one. <laughs> here's the question. What comedian mm-hmm. was part owner for a time of the Indians, of the Cleveland Indians? There was um, an, I, I know what he looks like. Oh, really? Uh, Drew Carey? No. No. He's a Cleveland comedian. He is a Cleveland guy. Yes. No, but I don't know that answer. You don't know that. I'm one. not good with names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Randy. Oh yeah. yeah, I know your name. Okay, Bob Hope. Oh yeah, I did know Bob that. Hope. I actually did know the that. See now he comes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he yeah. was part of an investment group back in 1946. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so he's been a lifelong ambassador of the city of the Indians. Once featured on an episode of I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. Not that you would know that. But yes, where he was at an Indians and Yankees game and Lucy sees the opportunity to persuade Hope to appear at the nightclub. And uh, mm-hmm. she dresses as a hot dog vendor, distracts him in a fall ball. I think I him saw on that one. Oh, yeah. you've seen that mm-hmm. one. You're like, yeah, that's my Indian. Those Lucy, are my Indians. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So you, I did you, know you that answer. I did. that one. Yeah. All right. From way back in my yeah. archives. Yes. So there you go. The other question was around the uh, Indians uh, sellout streak. Are you aware of that? How many games, consecutive sell, sold out games? 455. Wow. Yeah. Over about six years. Was that, that in like the... 95 two, through yeah, 2001. Yeah, and I was going to say 95 yeah. because I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. Not too bad. Okay. I did okay. <laughs> you did okay. All right. Let's get back into it. Play ball. All right. So now you, you've given us uh, you've given us a great education in what it is that you do. Uh, we could talk forever on that still, I think. But so you went out on your own. I mean, you've had, I'm assuming, really a pretty good gig with the clinic, Cleveland Clinic. I mean, a premier hospital network in our country and world, I suppose. And you said, "Hey, I'm going out on my own." What were you thinking? Yeah. Well. I was thinking (laughs) that the current climate in medicine is you don't get to spend enough time with your patients. And I, I mean, literally my initial consults with patients, I do it in two different visits, a telehealth visit and then an in-person visit. And the combination of those two can be anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours total. And it just isn't supported in the, in the insurance based medical system that we have. And in order to get all that information that I need in order to treat the patients correctly, that is that is what I need to do. And so that was kind of one of the reasons that I left. The other reason is I didn't really fit in any department 
at that point. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't a radiologist. I wasn't a pain medicine doctor. I wasn't a functional medicine doctor. It was kind of hard for them to figure out how to put me, Maybe like what do to, they do with me, right? utilize your skills. Yeah. So, and I actually had had my own business about 12 years ago. I had a teleradiology business where I was, okay. you know, so I already had kind of the taste of being my own boss. And I really missed it a lot. And I want to shout out to the National Association of Women Business Owners Group because I'd been like a groupie of theirs for a really long time. And I, they helped me so much trying to get me to that point. And then I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. And then I did it. And then COVID hit and my whole practice went under, kind of. But they helped me to maintain during that process too. So it was really bunch of entrepreneur people kind of just bonding together to get keep things going so I I really missed having my own business and then when I got it I just I mean I I just wouldn't do it any differently I mean I would have done it all over again if I had to so yeah Um, it wasn't a mistake even though people are like oh you know no I don't make as much money as I did there and I you know what I mean like I'm struggling, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs are right now, but it still makes me really happy every day. So, so I've talked with several doctors and one of the things that people that are in private practice, um, would say, yeah, we didn't really get prepared to have our practice, private practice, you know, in medical school. We're not taking business classes in medical school, right? We're not learning to operate our business effectively. How has that challenge been for you and coming in? Now, you've mentioned, you said yeah. you, you had a private practice before, a, a business before. Yes. So, so I had a little so bit of... completely new. Right. And also, I ran the musculoskeletal ultrasound division at the Cleveland Clinic. So I had to do all the marketing for that and know how to deal with the finances. And, you know, I had employees under me that, from an HR standpoint. And so I, I had some of the skills, nothing, nothing formal. Um, I also was involved at the Weatherhead School of Business, mm-hmm. and I do have um, a business coach. Good. And I've had a career coach for a long time who really helps a lot, kind of telling me what I kind of need, directions I need to go in and right. that kind of thing. And then I just have so many people that have helped me. I, I don't think I could have done it without like all these people, like, right. you know, the chamber of commerce, all the people in there, I met you through that. Like you've helped me so much just understanding basic marketing, <laughs> you know, like I had no idea what was going on as far as like all the digital marketing and all that right. stuff. I've had um, just my, I have a really good friend who's a salesperson in a big company and he's like, okay, I'm going to come in and give your people in services on how to, you know, treat patients and how to talk to them and how to promote your service, your your, your practice, right. just because he he's my friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I have these people who have been just kind of helping me get these tools that I never learned over the years. And I'm still, I'm like, I feel like I'm an infant when it comes to business ownership, just so that, you know, I'm still learning about a lot of a lot of things. I learn the hard way usually, unfortunately. But well, that's okay. I try I try very I hard think, to like talk to people who yeah. might know. I have another 
colleague who has her own practice and her business manager gave me, he, he was just out of the goodness of his heart. It was just so nice. He's like, okay, this is what you need. You know, these, this is, I'm going to tell you the three things that you need are, you need to have passion. And I obviously have that, right? So I was like, oh good, I got that one. You need, you need to have thick skin. Like, you know, things aren't, most of the time it's not going to go the way you want it to and, and you just have to be able to manage it. And I'm okay at that one. And you need capital. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's very interesting. The That, I think, is the biggest difference, the business mentality versus the physician mentality. Right. Like, Those are hard we're not, to that, wear, right? That, that capital thing is yeah. very hard. Like people will yeah. take hundreds of thousands of dollars in loan out not knowing if their business is going to work. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that is way out of my comfort zone, you know, because that's not how we navigate. Mm-hmm. So that's not, that's probably my one of my biggest struggles, I think. Mm. I do want to give a shout out because I know several entrepreneurs who are in the group. You mentioned, I think you gave the full name. I call NABO. them NABO. Yeah. Na- what's, uh, National Association of Women Business Owners. Yes. Great group. And um, as I said, I know several people locally who are uh, members of that group. Is that where you get your coach from as well? Uh, Because I know they do that kind of a support. Actually, yes. I I got her through, her name is Lori Gorell. She um, was a member a long time ago when I found her. And my friend who was a physician at the clinic with me, she was giving a lecture mm. and that was her coach. And so she, right. she introduced me and it was at a NABO event okay. where I met her yeah. and then I just kept her card yeah. for good. a while. Good. And then eventually I called and it was the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good. Yeah. That's a great group. There's a lot of great entrepreneurial groups. So folks that are in, well, that's a national group. Um, they have local the chapters chapter. or regional yeah. chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the WINS, Women in, what does that stand for? Women net, Women in Network or something like yeah. that. But there's a, there's, that's a national organization with local chapters as well. So I think there's a lot of great support out there and yeah. I applaud you as well. For, and I just joined the Chamber of Commerce in yeah. you know, the Chagrin Valley Chamber of Commerce who's been wonderful to me as well just really super helpful and i'm just you know now that we're in person i haven't been doing an in-person event yet so now i'm going to start because i'm like i need these people these business people because you know all this the business stuff out it's out of my comfort zone so well i'll give a little shout out for the chamber as well being i'm on the board of the chamber but you know the chamber is a great way to network and and i'm part of another group and they really taught me is like, listen, you will get out what you put into it. Yeah. So for, for, you know, those business owners that are in the chamber and you're not sure if you're getting a value out of it, you know, I would turn the question around and really like, what are you doing to put into it? Meaning, are you going to the events? Are you really actively like trying to engage with people when you go to events? And mm-hmm. meet people. It's not going to happen overnight, but over time, I think you will glean the rewards from that. And plus, I, I think our chamber does a lot to support local businesses and uh, uh, in a lot of different ways. And so um, I really encourage uh, chamber involvement. I think it's uh, it's a great organization. So, well, that's good. All right. So you've got your mentor. And it is kind of interesting. You don't hear what you did is really kind of 
going upstream. You don't hear a lot of doctors like going out on their own and doing their own practice. Really, you kind of hear the other thing that private practices are being consumed by like a Cleveland clinic system. I don't know. How does that make you feel a little more isolated? You mentioned you have uh, a friend that you've talked with that also has her private practice. I mean, do you have, have you built a network? A little bit, but you know, it's interesting. A lot of my referring doctors that used to refer to me still refer to me now. Mm. So I still have that kind of camaraderie and that, that, that um, medical discussion going on. I do miss it. uh, Miss the day to day kind of talking about, patients and that kind of thing. But I'm still in transition, still building the practice, looking at bringing in other people and other services into my practice in particular. So it's not like I'm just going to stay as a solo person. Right. Um, so it'll get there. And I'm looking at different services to see what it's, it's a balance between what's going to be a good business model versus what is a good practice model? And sometimes right. they don't always coincide. So I have like my business people saying, well, you can't do that because you're not going to make any money doing that. I was like, yeah, but that, that really helps my patients. So I have to kind of figure out how to manage it, yeah. manage both ends of it. So yeah. You mentioned earlier, uh, and just knowing the date, so you opened your practice November of 19, mm-hmm. and then... Five months later, um, we're March in the midst, midst of a shutdown, right? Um, yeah. And then, and have been really enduring that over the last year or so. Big challenge for mm-hmm. any business person and for you as well, I can imagine. Walk us through what, how was that challenge? How did you meet that challenge? What were some things that you did to adapt, I guess, to continue? I mean, your practice is still open. You, yeah. The light is still on. So, well, you know, I would say congratulations had, on that, right? Because yeah. that yeah. is an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, it was stressful at times. I had, you know, well, see, I had some capital, which was mm, good. I mm-hmm. had a credit line. Good. <laughs> so that, that helped kept me alive really because right. I mean I'm an I was a non-essential medical bu- business and an outpatient business so we were shut down right between March and May like no patients we weren't allowed to see anybody so that was the time when I changed marketing companies tried to optimize the the marketing side of things as much as possible I had already started which was kind of not great, but I, I had already started doing like paper materials to hand out to referring doctors' offices, and they had you know these nice little brochures and these brochure holders to put in their offices. And of course, no patients are going into offices anymore. <laughs> so it was like it was like this kind of mind-boggling kind of flip-flop. Right. Like, okay, so we can't market to patients in offices because they're all being seen by telehealth now. So how do we how do we do it? It was a lot of just talking to a lot of people and figuring out how to make that shift. I'm kind of one of those people that I like change. I'm not a, I'm not adverse to change. I actually, if things are too state the same for too long, I get a little nervous about it. So it wasn't that hard for me to shift. So getting into the digital marketing and trying to figure out how to do YouTube videos, like, you know, I'm, that's not my thing at all, but I did do some, <laughs> you know, writing blogs. That's when right. I started doing that. Just, kind of trying to trying to 
shift the business so that I was reaching somebody at least. And then when we opened back up, I actually had, it was going really well until the end of August, beginning of September. And then when the next wave hit, it was interesting. So, cause like, I'm, so now I'm doing these business spreadsheets and these graphs and everything, which is right. like new for me. Right. And I'm watching the graph dip and it literally paralleled the um, COVID spikes, COVID spike, my business would drop right. in both, both phases. So it was not as bad the second time around because I was doing telehealth at that point. So I could still see people, but not in the office. So that was a good shift. And I still actually do quite a bit of telehealth because people like to be in their homes. Um, and it's a long visit to do, especially the initial pain consult. If you know you come into an office for three hours, it's, just, it's exhausting for right, me and right. for them. And a lot of it is just gathering information. So I try to do all of that and in the telehealth format, and I'll probably keep that forever, I think. Right. So a lot of the changes that we made were good for a lot of different reasons. So right. I think it was really helpful. Good, good. Well, again, congrats, I think, for keeping the lights on because that was it had to have been an incredibly challenging uh, period for you. And I love, you know, as you're talking about the telehealth, because I think kind of coming out of the uh, pandemic, so much um, in our day-to-day lives, I think, have transitioned in different ways. Mm -hmm. Some of it is being remote, but just in the way that we're doing different aspects of our life is different than what we were doing kind of pre-pandemic. I was just listening to something uh, earlier this morning. They were talking about restaurant business and we're actually spending today more in restaurant business today than what we did pre-pandemic period but with about a million less employees in the restaurant business Hmm. and it's purely because we've like gotten accustomed to you know curbside mm-hmm. and or delivery mm-hmm. and so it doesn't require as much you know for staff to be in the building mm-hmm. right and i thought that was interesting and just to see kind of coming through the pandemic how it's changed our life and how we've adjusted that continues to go and just as you're saying about telehealth i would be like that would be the perfect way to yeah. do kind of an, an yeah. initial anyway. Obviously I can't do ultrasound sure. remotely. <laughs> right. Well, there are, there are places that actually can do it, but you, the patient has to be somewhere. But. Right. Right. So what do you see around the corner for advanced MMC? So like horizon. I said, yeah. So um, I'm kind of excited about it. I, um, the traditional Chinese medicine fold, I'm trying to kind of bring that in more. You know, no, my can, long-term goals are about, like... How about a quick a quick definition? When you say uh, traditional Chinese, what did you say, medicine? Medicine. Or, okay. So what? it's TCM. Traditional Chinese medicine is really focusing on the energy aspect of your your body. So the qi, if you've heard that phrase before, in Tai Chi or Qi mm-hmm. Gong, the qi is really your life force or your energy force in your body. And when you have a disease or pain your chi is not moving like it should. So that's really the basis okay. of traditional Chinese medicine. It's thousands of years old. And it and it is based on kind of mental focus and um, a lot of self-awareness. It's based on how you're connected to the environment and people around you, that that life force is kind of Again, one. creating that balance. Yeah, right? right? Okay. The yin and yang balance. Got it. 
and the things the things in traditional Chinese medicine are, you know, a lot of tea, teas and herbs, lifestyle changes, um, meditation, acupuncture, acupressure, movement, like the qigong and tai chi. They they are all kind of intertwined. So Good. I would really like to have a center that has a lot of those things okay. in it, and that's kind of the direction I'm moving in. So. So that's so you would see that as kind of the opportunity down the road the yeah. o- on the horizon anyway. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Very good. So we're winding down here bottom of the ninth. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the score. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice do you have for what we call rookies in the game? Those just starting out in business or maybe they already have a business just started. I mean, you're fairly rookie. Yeah. yeah. I feel like would I'm a rookie. Do you still call yourself rookie? Yeah, okay. I would definitely call myself well, a rookie. What kind of things, what kind of advice do you have for those folks as well? Well, I think it's important to understand your strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things I did before I opened or decided, like I left the clinic actually not a hundred percent sure I was going to start my own thing. And one of the things I learned in my coaching is what are your core values? Like, I think it's really important to know yourself and to know what things make you tick. And I'm big on charts. So I would put all my options on one. I, the first three things I would put down on the side were my th- three core values. Like, what are my options? And, and do, these, do these options fulfill my core values? Am I going to, am I actually going to, on a day-to-day basis, be really fulfilled at what I'm doing? So I think it's really important to, to know that before you make a choice, a career change choice. And then the other thing is to know what you're good at and what you're not good at, and then surround yourself with people who have those skills. I'm, I'm a very big picture person, not very detailed necessarily. So my employees that I hire are very detailed people because, you know, like I miss things when they like make sure that I, you know, I kind of think of it as I'm not, I'm not perfect. And in order to make the business as optimal as possible. You want people that have the skills that you don't. So, you know, I have a legal team, I have an IT team, I have marketing people. I don't do any of that stuff. So I'm still building my, my team because I still, there's still things that I do a lot of that I'm not great at. I'm still trying to find those people that will do it better than me, which is not that hard, but finding them is sometimes the problem. But um, those are the, those are the two things I would try to, focus on mostly right. and then the capital <laughs> yeah, and then the, capital. <laughs> the capital thing is yeah definitely be, thing be sure it's, you have enough uh, yeah a, a big enough mm-hmm. pot yes. right because it's always more than what you initially yeah. estimate yeah. right absolutely very good all right well listen thank you so much for being on the show it's been a great experience for me and just learning about what it is that you do and uh I, I think all I'm still so fascinated by all of the facets, uh, avenues that you approach in order to deliver, I, I think, a healing and or uh, improvement of life for people uh, dealing with chronic pain. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Appreciate that. So uh, obviously, uh, I, I know you will be successful and we always wish you the best for that as well. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on, on the show. And just again, I'm just remind folks look for Dr. Delzell's information in the show notes and uh, take advantage of the complimentary call limited consultation that she's providing. I think you'll uh, 
find it uh, very, very helpful. So, all right. Thank you very much. And as we say, that's the ball game. Thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.